So, like, tonight, you know, I got me, Boss Jones, and you got Jay on here. And we, we outraged right now because it's a lot of shit happening involving these police officers and just the, the, the whole justice system is just screwed up right now. And, you know, we're going to talk about it tonight. So, that being said, cue the intro. Welcome to the Nerd Boys Podcast. Got my boy Jay Adams on the line. Got my brother Boss Jones on the line. And, you know, pissed off right now. You know, Nathaniel Woods, that 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 shit pisses me off because, for one, you know, you, you got a man that says he didn't have shit to do with it. The guy said, I'm the shooter. I shot all three of the cops. I killed them. Nathaniel Woods had nothing to do with it. Yet they still execute this man. Like, like, what are y'all thoughts on that? I don't really know too much about it, so I, I just sit back and listen on this one. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I do think that it's terrible that they went on and executed the man when he wasn't the one who actually pulled the trigger. But according to the response from the female governor of um, Alabama, uh, I guess they got a law provision that states anybody can seek the death penalty that has any involvement um, or accessory to uh, a deadly assault or fatal assault of a law enforcement officer. Right. Like uh, his co-defendant, Kerry uh, Spencer, you know, he, he said that Woods was innocent. He said that, you know, I shot the officers. He didn't have nothing to do with it. He said that, you know, when the dude heard the gunfire, he started running. Mm-hmm. So, so, so like, what happened to the co-defendant? He's on death row, too. He's on death row for the murders too, but you know they charged both of them with the murders and you know with death row. Mm. And uh, you know from 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 what he was saying, the thing was didn't even have a weapon on him. Mm-hmm. They uh they said when the officers found him, he had uh two twenty two caliber bullets on him, but no gun. And from what from what they were shot with it was an assault rifle. How long ago that happened? This happened in 2000 and 2004, Birmingham, Alabama. So how did the person that didn't do it get executed before the guy that did do it? I have no idea. It probably That's... had a lot to do with, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe a lot of different uh, retrials and appeals and all that stuff, different motions and things like that. So maybe there's some motions and stuff that was made from his co-defendant that's kind of hope keeping you know holding up the process for him getting executed yeah it could be it's one of those situations it's unfortunate because you know i feel like they failed the man because you know even if he had some type of like charges like maybe a drug charge because they was in a dope house whatever they was selling dope out the house and, you know, if, if that was one of his charges, that would be one thing. But, you know, to charge him for murders, he didn't even 
you know, he didn't even have a gun on him. Mm-hmm. Dude said he he took a uh said he took a he popped a pill and had uh you know drank a Bud Light and fell asleep. He said when he heard the cops come, you know he just kind of started going in with the shooting. He said he had it on his lap. He had the weapon on his lap, and you know he just went in. Right. He said dude didn't have nothing to do with it. Right. So yeah, that's crazy. You know after saying all that, you know this uh this governor of Alabama. I'll see her name, uh, K, K Ivy. You know, refused to give him a stay of execution. So it's just like, you know, what, what the hell is going on in Alabama that you know she couldn't see this? You know, is it that you know we're we're guilty until proven innocent? Pretty much. I mean, that's the so, way. That's the way the justice system has been for 50, 60 plus years is that, you know, uh, black black people, especially males, is considered guilty in, uh, until proven innocent, so. Because we, we can't react, you know, you know, a white person, they get into an altercation with police, you know, they, they could react like crazy and, you know, they won't, they won't look at them as a threat like they would us. You know, we we could be pretty mild mannered and still be looked at threats just because we're black. You know, um, talk about that kid in uh, New York City. Uh, what was that kid's name again? Oh, uh, Roy Fitzgale. That's his name. Yeah, and, and and it's fucked up with him because I watched that video and it was just like. You know, you had to, for one, I, I, I'm wondering why a plainclothes officer, you know, was harassing in the first place. Like, had his gun out on him and all that. And it's just like, you know, he, I think he mentioned he was unarmed, you know. Even if, uh, you know, even if he did have some weed on him, you know, weed is like, you know, they, they decriminalizing weed in New York State now. Right. So. So if he had a bag on him, y'all shouldn't have been, that's not nothing to stop him for. You know, if he was smoking weed in the park, hey, y'all didn't find nothing on him. It was like, why y'all harassing this kid? Right, man, he's got his hands and up. If you watch the video, he's got his hands up. Yeah, the whole, the whole time. The whole time, he's not showing any um, intimate threat or anything. And uh, the plank closed. He's scared. He just held him up against, it looked like a gate of a, of a storefront. And held them until backup came. And then once backup came, which yeah, and it was they they bumped us. Black officers. Um, that's when they took him down and they just basically jumped him and beat him up. If you didn't know any better, you would have thought that he was being jumped by a gang. Yo, for real. And it's crazy because if you watch when they came, they came in aggressive. This kid got his hands up. All that he got, so he already has a gun put up to him. And these officers came in aggressive. It was like, you know, uh, it was like a defense coming after the running back or something. Yeah. And this shit pissed me off because it was like, yo, was this really necessary? Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't have to do this kid wow. like that. And, you know, him shouting out, he's scared and shit. Like, yo, you know, I got nephews damn near that age. You know, I got a 13-year-old son who's just like, you know, this is the type of shit they gonna have to grow Absolutely. up with. You know, it's, it's bad enough he had to grow up with it. 
but it's just like this shit getting worse. And then it's just, you know, we used to really could kind of depend on our own people to, you know, at least try to do the right thing. But it's like we can't even depend on our own people no more. Right. You know, I done had worse, I done had worse interactions with black officers than I have white. And, and it's sad. You know, you you got officers out here that that's really, really fucking nasty. And and they look like us. Mm-hmm. It's just fucking sad, man. And what do you think the cause is of that? Of um, a lot of black officers starting to, well, not starting to, because you've had a lot of them doing this for years. But when you're looking at a lot of these police officers now, um, out of the younger generation, our generation. So, what do you think? change the tables a little bit where a good portion of them now um, are operating just as the other ones. You know, with, with us as black people, you know, we're starting to get divided anyway. Like, we, from when the civil rights movement started to when it ended till you know, the crack epidemic and everything, I just think we get more and more divided. And I think, you know, when we got these... Uh, young black kids going to the police academies and stuff. I think what they're being taught along with, you know, that I'm not going to say it's fear, but you know, that, that sense of power. And, you know, it's funny because with some people, you can see it, you know, I've been in the military eight years and, you know, some people you can see before they even get that, like they make sergeant or something like that. You could see it that they not going to do that power That's black and white. So I think, you know, I think, you know, a lot of it is probably them trying to impress, you know, a lot of them probably, you know, under that influence that, you know, this is what I got to do. And what, depending on what they, what they are uh, teaching in the academy, you know, it's kind of like, you know, we, uh, we gonna have some shit on our hands in these coming years because depending on what they're being taught and what kind of influence they're, they're having and, you know, that power trip. You know, I think it's many factors that's that's having them, you know, start thinking with this mentality because um what was it? Uh did you mention it that, you know, in the academy they, they say that, you know, you're like part of the 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 blue game no, or some shit blue, like that. You're, right. You bleed blue. Um, so now you're blue, there is no more color. So now basically they expect you to conform to that uh, mentality. And also yeah. that power doesn't go against power, but ultimately uh, rookies, you know, um, which most departments uh, refer to them as PPOs, probationary police officers, they basically become a prototype <laughs> of who trains them, who field trains them. So if the person that's field trained them is very aggressive, um, nasty, and has a lot of uh, untoward uh, skills or work ethic towards the community, the constituents that they're serving, more than likely that's the way that that probationary officer is going to operate as well. Um, You know, because that's the way that they've been trained. Right. And if you notice, uh, we're going into probably because really what started, the, I mean, body cameras have been out for years, but what started uh, 
the body cam program to really explode was after the Michael Brown um, shooting in Ferguson and after that um, uproar. But if you notice, it seems like the body cameras now um, really doesn't seem like it has really an effect or really mean much to officers now because they're still um, unlawfully using deadly physical force. They're still doing their dirty hair tactics, even with the body camera rolling. So they're becoming very confident and comfortable um, doing what they're doing, even though they have a body camera on that can ultimately, you know, convict them. So basically what's there to supposed to be protecting them um, can ultimately be used to convict them. Um, right. It just seems like now they've mm-hmm. gotten complacent where it means nothing and then you have some officers that doesn't activate the body camera or they deactivate it. Um, it's just all kind of things there and you know, I just me personally, I just don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Right, you know, uh, they they create a loophole. Yeah, I, I, I just don't see as far as when it comes to interaction with law enforcement in, in the inner city communities across the country. This is not just a Buffalo thing or a New York City thing. This is across the board. I just don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Um, just because mm-hmm. of the simple fact that you know you have what you have going on in this mentality, and you have a lot of these young officers in these inner city departments. A lot of them white who've never really been around African-Americans or minorities. And then they take that job where they have an extraordinary amount of power over um, basically the underdogs, the disenfranchised. And then they carry out what their parents have taught them and what they've told them about blacks and brown people. And, you know, and the thing about it is the most powerful job in America uh and I ask people this all the time and they tell me, oh, it's a judge or the president. But one of the most powerful jobs, theoretically speaking, is being of a police officer because they're the ones that have the power with the ink pen to stroke their ink pen to destroy you and malign your character on an accusatory instrument, which is a criminal report and arrest you and charge you and jam you up. And then that's when, you know, the district attorney will then review the charges and they'll make a determination if they want to follow through with the charges or not. And then you have then the judge, you know, when they go for um, an arraignment and whatnot. So, you know, police officers hold a lot of power. You know, they have power to use deadly physical force. They have power to uh, issue citations, warrants, warrant cards, and uh, make arrests and um, use as much force as necessary um, if someone is uh, resisting an arrest. So right. um, I think a lot of officers get drunk off of that. Um, and if you look at it, um, just like Buffalo, for an example, I think Buffalo's probably hired maybe 150, 200 officers just in the last, I don't know, maybe 20 months. And probably out of that number, you they might have hired maybe 18 blacks, maybe. Um, I was talking wow. to some people up in Buffalo and they said, you know, it's hard to even find a black officer now uh, like it was, you know, just uh, a year or two or three years ago now because they're just high. I mean, just look at the academy pictures. And this is not just Buffalo. 
this is a lot of your major cities. Um, if you just look at the academy photos, you don't really see any blacks too much in there. And it's not so much they want to say, well, black people don't want the job. Well, a lot of blacks that want law enforcement jobs, but um, a lot of the blacks, they weed them out through subjective testing, whether it be a psychological, whether it be a polygraph, whether it be a medical exam. Um, you know, they have things in place to be able to just wash them out. And also, that's what right, and can also, also wash them out and malign them to the point where they'll never be able to um, really have a chance to uh, retry again, at least not in that area. I mean, right. it's just a different, you know, when you go to a place like Atlanta, for an example, Atlanta, uh, Baltimore, but more importantly, uh, Atlanta, uh, when you look at the law enforcement, I think uh, the state of Georgia has some of the most African-American officers out of any other state. Yeah, you know, um, and not just regular patrolmen, but officers in all different types of positions. But even at that, you still have some of them that have that right white supremacy um, mentality. And I think another thing that causes a lot of these young black officers to act that way is because I think a lot of them yeah. have that feeling that now that they have the badge and the power, they are part of the blue blood, so they're kind of covered. So therefore, they could do whatever they want to people, and not really get a re not have to worry about it really happening to them because they have a badge so it kind of gives them that right i guess you want to say that god-like complex and yeah. i think ultimately that's what's causing a lot of that and then some of them feel that they need to impress their colleagues who are the majority or maybe carrying out their mission right. for them yeah yeah i agree with that I do agree yeah, with so that. I just think, it's but just I think so... more importantly, I think a lot of blacks need to learn their rights. Um, they really need to learn their rights and 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 um, understand their constitutional rights and understand um, first and foremost, don't say anything because we already know anything you say will be and can be used against you uh, in a court of law. So the main well, thing is yeah. don't say anything, but through trepidation and through duress when you get pulled over a lot of times people end up talking too much because they're nervous and anxiety so they start answering all these questions the officer's asking not realizing that the officer's actually trying to build probable cause he's trying to build a case to then jam you off of what you what you're saying and i don't care how exculpatory your statement is to the officer it cannot and will not help you at all because time and time again officers always leave out exculpatory um, evidence and exculpatory uh, statements and information out of their reports when they're when they're charging you yeah so the main thing is not to sound so harsh is really just shut the fuck up you know if you're dealing with the police and they got you pulled over you know you didn't do anything wrong you can't hold court on the side of the street so the main thing is just shut the fuck right. up it's funny because uh, it's this commercial uh, with these lawyers, and that's exactly what they say: "Shut the fuck up, get yourself right. in jam, shut the fuck and up." You have to because <laughs> anything you say, they're just gonna take and just twist your words and just use it against you. So just don't say anything. You know, they pull you over, and it kind of gets tricky 
Because if you get pulled over and they say, oh, we're pulling you over for your tenants, which seems to be the, the, the common prerequisite that they use as a pretext to stop you is because, oh, you got tenant windows and, you know, you're driving in an area that has a high propensity of violence and narcotics and whatnot. Now they want to pull you out the car, but they don't have any plain view. They don't have probable cause. They don't have reasonable. They really don't have reasonable suspicion, but they'll ride that reasonable suspicion and turn it into a probable cause by telling step on out the car. And you have the right to tell them, you know, now if they tell you to get out the car, you can get out the car, roll up your window, lock the door behind you and put the keys in the pocket and don't consent to a, a search of your vehicle. But that could be tricky because then okay. you got some officers, if you do that, they're definitely going to lock you up for something and then they're going to search the car anyway. So it kind of can go, it's kind of a slippery slope per se. Because you're exercising your right. rights and you have the right to exercise your rights. But then in another uh, way, which kind of sounds like I'm contradicting myself in a way, on a, you almost don't have rights in a way. Um, and it all depends on who you're dealing with. Because police officers right. are just like doctors. Um, you can call a police officer for, let's just say, something simple as criminal mischief. And 10 police officers will react to that call and handle that call different, just like a medical doctor. You go to me medical doctors, look, I got pain in my upper shoulder. 10 of those doctors going to handle it different. One's going to tell you, just take Tylenol and go to bed. Another one might say, let's get an x-ray. Let's do some blood work. Another one might say, I don't think nothing's wrong with you. Get out of here. You know what I mean? So you, you yeah, it, it all really depends on who you're dealing with. Right. Because some officers really do take themselves too serious. And you got some that don't take themselves right. serious at all. So you just have to be, you know, you really have to be careful. Um, I always tell people never let an officer in your house. Um, if they don't have a warrant. You don't need to let them in your house because as soon as you right. let them in your house, and I've seen this time and time again when people let the officer in the house because they called them for something or whatnot, and they might have forgot that they had a little roach in the ashtray or something. Now they're going to jail. You see what I'm saying? Because you right. let them in the house. So the thing about it is, is don't even let them in the house. You know, talk to them and handle what you got to handle, you know, outside of your home. Some people say, well, if yeah. I don't have nothing to hide and I don't have nothing illegal, no contraband. I could let them in the house. No, you still really shouldn't. Right. They're gonna be looking for they still might find something to right. try to help. Try to find you. something. You know, and I've seen people be arrested. Uh well of course the charges were dropped, but I've seen people be arrested for maybe having their prescription pills laying around but they're not in the bottle and the officer locked them up, you know, just just so they could just put them through the system and fingerprint them. And see, once you're arrested, right. even if the charges are dropped, that's still not the end of the show. I, I know somebody who was harassed by a police department and he was pulled over. Make a long story short, uh, his grandmother sent him to Walgreens to uh, pick up her prescription. And he picked a prescription. Yeah. You know how they put the prescription in a paper pharmacy-like bag. Almost looks like a sub bag, a little white bag. You know what I'm talking about, but it's paper. And, you know, they yeah. staple the receipt and stuff to it. He put it down in the armrest of the truck. Well, anyway, the police pulled him over, said that it looked like he was uh, failing to maintain his lane, which was a lie. But either way, that's that, that, that could be argument I, I argued on either side. But anyway, they took him out of the car, 
saw the prescriptions they charged him with possession of a controlled substance described uh, in possession of a of a narcotic that was not prescribed to him even though at the time that they looked at the receipt and the time they stopped him he had just left the drive through of Walgreens pharmacy well he worked a good job i ain't going to say the company but it's a fortune 500 company and that police department called his job on the scene and basically maligned his character and because he's black guess what his job fired him basically over the telephone he has no job because of what the police said that's fucking crazy so make a long story short he had the job charges were dropped and everything but guess what this happened a few years ago and he's still unemployed um to this day he's still unemployed because he's got an arrest record and even though he's fought and got it sealed and everything still it's hard for him to get a job and whatnot because I'm going to tell you something, and this might turn into something a little bit further than police brutality, and we're talking about Nathan Woods and Roy Fitzgale, and we haven't even talked about the situation of the two Chicago officers that shot the guy going up the escalator, but, you know, when you look at corporate America, it's really changed, and corporate America, if you notice, is harder and harder to get employment, and there's plenty of jobs out there. Um, not that many in Buffalo, but there's a lot of jobs out there. But they make it harder and harder if you're a black male, especially if you have a criminal record or have something in your record, you know, even if it was quashed and sealed and everything else, charges drop. Still, it just makes it hard. And the thing about it is what a lot of employers are doing is they adopted the public uh, sector's um, policy and procedure of um, applicants you know, you've applied to the police department and um, other agencies, and I'm pretty sure you've had to fill out consent waivers where you hold no one harmless uh, in search of furnishing information on you or any records and stuff. Well, a lot of the private sectors are doing that too now, even simple jobs that, I don't want to say Walmart because I don't know if they do it, but I would just say just regular jobs out there. They're doing that, and, and, and it's kind of funny because when you sign that consent waiver, a lot of people don't think nothing of it because they're applying for a job. So they say, well, I'll sign this and get it notarized or whatever, just so I can get myself, you know, in the process. Well, what people don't really think and realize is that you're signing the waiver that you hold no one harmless. And a lot of times you have to read the, the language advertisements and it even says, even if the information is even incorrect or not 100% accurate, you still hold no one harmless. So isn't that kind of funny? where you can apply to a job, like I'll just say ABC, and they're telling you, sign this consent form that you're not going to hold us harmless or any third party. That means previous employers, police departments that have any records on you, or even neighborhood reference, you hold no one harmless. Isn't that amazing? So you're indemnifying everybody. If you think about that, that's very dangerous because um, you in a position where mess you up and then get a paper but you can't hold them hard you hold them harmless which means you can't sue them so yeah you could have right. somebody that hates your guts and they can use them as a reference and they could you know you pretty much defame them, your character and you've signed the consent form that you hold them not harmless so that's the issue with this guy that i'm telling you about that i know that i've actually went to school with where um he's having an issue where he just can't get a job and even though his record is sealed and whatnot, a lot of these jobs still call 
that suburban police department, which is right outside of Buffalo, they still contact them, and that police department still releases his arrest paperwork and report and all that crap, even though it was a court order by the judge that the records be sealed. But he indemnified that he holds no one harmless. Shit. <laughs> yeah. So you really day. have to be careful uh, with that. And um, I'm not going to say the company's name, but he's in the process of trying to get a job uh, with a rental car company. And he had to sign the same type of consent forms that you hold no one harmless, third party harmless, even um, if uh, if it affects you equity, which means your money. Because a lot of these jobs, they do a credit background, a credit report on you. They're not looking for a credit score. They're just checking to see if you have any uh, liens uh, that you have not paid, if you have uh, bankruptcy issues or if you have anything in collections. Well, guess what? Every time they do an inquiry and stuff, that can affect your credit score, but you've signed off that you hold them not harmless. So they got everything covered. And I've even seen right. some job applications or background packets that even say you hold no one harmless if sick, sickness, illness, or death befall you. So I had to do some research last year, and I, and I found out the reason why a lot of places are putting death in there is because there's some people that's been blackballed by corporate America. They've been black listed um by employers and some people has caused them so much stress where they've lost their homes they're living on the street their kids have no food and that stress as you know can kill you and some people have died um and had heart attacks because of the stress of not being able to get gainful employment so that's why a lot of places now are putting death in there that you don't even hold no one harmless if death befalls you so it's wow. it's, it's, it's it's kind of something that a lot of people are not paying attention to, but you got to be really careful when you start applying to um, a lot of jobs because um, you're signing off a lot of um, power to people and you're not really realizing because the average person is not reading that whole paragraph. They're just see consent waiver and they're just signing it because they want to get the job and not really realizing who they're really indemnifying. Now, do you have to sign it? Yeah, if you don't sign those uh, consent waivers, you, you can't sign. move forward with the, with the process. And then when they start making calls to whether it be a previous employer, the courts, hospital for your medical records and all that, a lot of times they'll ask them, do you have a consent form? And once they fax them over or send them, and some of them will request your whole packet. And um, once they see that you've signed it, it's it's basically you know sky's the limit is open season they'll give them anything they want because they see that you you, you indemnified third party wow mm-hmm. it's like they set you up for the okie doke and it's like you really yeah. have a choice and if you notice when you if you notice if you read so a lot of um if if you read a lot of applicate uh the, the paperwork on there a lot of jobs will tell you that even if they get information if information or something comes up that they didn't know after they've hired you they can terminate you so that's just something to think about i didn't really mean to go into that because that's kind of off topic but it kind of still kind of connects with basically what i'm trying to say is is that being a minority male you already have a strike against you because you know you're, you're 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 black and you're a male and then if you have a criminal record or any little thing on you, because um, everybody makes mistakes, and it could be something that's not really 
don't mean shit. They'll use that against you. And then if you're tall, you know, um, black male, um, a lot of times that can work against you. Um, just being tall, if you're anything 5'10 and up, a lot of times they perceive you as a threat, especially if you're considered masculine, okay? And so like I had brought up to you before yeah. in a few of your previous podcast shows that there is attack, there is an attack on black masculinity um, from corporate America. They deem black males that are masculine as a threat. They call it toxic masculinity. And a lot of the black women, unfortunately, have adopted that as well, which is the reason why when we talked the last podcast, where we kind of went off subject, talking about metro sex males and um, beta, beta males, uh, feminine males, um, a lot of females seem to go after, be attracted to those type of guys because their feminine personality trait lines up with their character, okay? And they don't seem to be as right. a threat. And you have a lot of women now that want to be the man in the relationship. Basically, when I say that, what I mean is they want to wear the pants. They want to be the dominating, aggressive one. And so a lot of those kind of strong-minded oh, yeah. females are not going to be with a really masculine man because he's not going to have that. It'll be a power so struggle. It'll be like a power struggle. Any man, the only woman that any man has had in their life that tells them what to do and checks them and everything was their mother when they were being raised. Okay? And that's just mm -hmm. the way it goes. A man's supposed to wear the pants in the house and also um, in a relationship. And I always tell females that, you know, when a woman stays in her place, okay, with her husband, with her man, then everything else will fall in place, you know. Um, right. So, you know, it all just ties down into that toxic masculinity, attack on masculinity. Um, and that's why you're seeing a lot of these rappers, they've gotten into this metro sex look where they're wearing man bags, which are like purses and wearing super, super skites, tight skinny yeah. jeans and wearing all these different kind of feminine-like designer belts and all these feminine hairstyles and all of this stuff here, okay? And so yeah. a lot of these other males, they see oh, that yeah. stuff on social media and then they adopt that. And then before you know it, they start dressing and looking like that, not really understanding what they're doing. Now you see males wearing dresses and skirts and all kind of things like that. And um, that's what's happening. Oh, yeah. Um to us but you know when you have a feminine male they're not considered to be a threat okay that's why like i told you a lot of airlines if you notice, right. they don't hire um masculine they, i mean they'll they might hire a few you might see a few but most of like let's say your flight attendants that, that work that work the flight and they serve you your complimentary uh, beverage and snacks and they're there to ensure the safety of the flight most of them act just like women their feminine is I don't know what because corporate America looks yeah. at the at the feminine way of delivering proper customer service because they're thinking that a real masculine man that's let's say ex-military no nonsense he's not going to be able to carry out that soft compassionate corporate European way of customer service like a feminine man would right oh yeah and I've been on flights where I've seen that too. Uh, in fact, I was uh, I finished my AIT training uh, when I first joined the military, and uh, I was on my flight back to Buffalo. I was flying out of, I think Norfolk, and this black guy, you know, he he was obviously uh, 
gay. I mean, it was cool, though. Like, you know, they had put me in first class, you know. But I see what you mean when you say, like, like with him, he he, he was cool, cool guy. You know, he he was like, you want something to drink? And I'm like, yeah, you know, what you got? What you want? Rummy Coke. Okay, got you. And it's kind of like, you know, it was friendly. It was courteous, you know, the whole shebang. So I see what you mean when you say, like, they they want that softer person uh, right. to be – you know, pretty much serving right. you. And, and, and you see that a lot, um, not just in the air, on the plane, but even when you go to restaurants like Olive Garden, Applebee's, I mean, you know, you you see that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's just, you know, I'm just noticing myself that things are different than it was back in the earlier 2000s and back in the 90s. It's just a whole different, you know, like before, um, you know, most of our mothers would complain because you wore baggy pants and you had them sagging and stuff. Now the whole, a lot of that is over with. Now you're dealing with guys wearing super, super tight pants, you know, women's pants where they got to take, it might take them a couple of seconds just to get one leg in their pants. They look at just like a woman. Everything is tight and wearing these real short uh, shirts and whatnot, like a, like the way a woman would wear them. And still be sagging them, <laughs> you know. So a lot of things have changed. Yeah, we got uh, men out here wearing dresses, you know. Like I said, man, teach his own. But it's just like you know, uh, like I said before, uh, you got you know gay white men that still could, you know, you got like Sam Smith, Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, it's that it's this show mm-hmm. that used to come on. Um, I think his name was Matt Bomer. You know, these are men that, you know, they're white, but yet right. they still dress like men. Like, you see them in still the three-piece suits and all that, the award shows. They're not like uh, Billy Porter's his name. They're not like Billy Porter, where Billy Porter is wearing a, a dress or some type of some type of feminine, you know, outfit. You know, these are, they still could, if you, if you didn't know that they were gay, you would think right. that they were straight just because, you know, the way they carry themselves right. and the way, you know, they dress. But it's like for us, you know, they got to, they got to over, I'm not going to say overdo it, but they got to kind of be mm-hmm. more over so spectacular top. with it and kind of be loud, yeah, just loud with, it. with it. Yeah, over the top. Mm-hmm. It's just to, to each its own. But, you know, for how they displaying us on TV, a gay black man versus a gay white man. You know, it's completely different. They still kind of keep their masculinity with the white man versus us. Yeah, where the black man is just more, uh, a lot so. of them are just more just out there. Um, like I said, just like a woman. And that's why if you notice a lot of gay men, they don't really have any male friends. Uh, most of their friends are females because that's who they relate to. And a lot of the females, of course, um, connect with them because they don't look at the gay man as a threat because they're not trying to fuck them. You see what I'm saying? So they look at them as their girlfriend. Right. You know, and so okay. that's, you know, that's what you um have. But to get back on topic uh, with the uh, police brutality, it's definitely not going to get any better. I think it's going to really take a major movement where everybody's, it's going to have to be a collaborative effort across the country where all Blacks going to have to get together and uh, speak out. They're just, it's, just don't have a choice and it's going to also take the blacks that are in law enforcement yeah 
to correct their fellow officer. I don't care if the officer is yeah. black as well or if it's a white officer, Asian, Pacific Islander, Hispanic, Latino, it doesn't matter. If they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're violating somebody's right and tarnishing their badge, they took an oath to uphold what? The Constitution to uphold, okay? So they need to operate and, and, and do that. But many of them don't have the fortitude to do that. There's only just a few, and one of them is your mother, you know. Right. And the sad thing about it, though, I feel like in order for something to be done, something serious to be done, I feel like it's going to take some type of major death, whether it be a celebrity, something. Something's going to have to happen to where people be like, oh, mm-hmm. shit, hey, this happened such and such. Imagine uh, somebody like uh, right. Will Smith. Will Smith, pretty cut guy. So imagine if he had an altercation with police where he was killed by a police officer. You know, I think something like that would probably get people Maybe. to like. You would, oh, you, you, you would think and hope. Will Smith. But you, you really can't. Yeah. I would say no because, you know, he he has a, he, yeah. he has a, a white fan base. So he has a large white fan base. So I use him as an example because, you know, you know, Will Smith, you know, he plays, he's always the good guy in movies. You know, he rarely plays a bad guy. You know, he's somebody that, you know, Big Willie style and all them, all them albums that he came out with in the 90s, you know, were bought by majority white people. So, you know, he has that white core audience. So I think for like Simon, Simon with him being, having some type of running with police officers would definitely probably get people to wake up because people don't see him as no threat or no criminal. They see him as, you know, Will Smith, the, the nice guy actor that right. used to be on the Fresh Prince, you know? Yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, that that's true. Um, you would hope that they would be able to, you know. Yeah, you hope. But um, I just don't really see it getting any better um, at all. Right. Yeah, I think it's only going to get worse. The thing about it is that what black folks need to do um still need to be a part of the um of the solution and the plan and and one way is like they always say if you can't beat them join them is you know um not only just being active and getting involved Mm -hmm. with police officers but try to get into that profession yourself so that way you know you have a clearer voice um to be able to um handle things but there's only one thing with that if all blacks in the police department are not operating that way, then you'd be basically like the lone wolf, the only one, the scapegoat, the common denominator who's out there trying to speak up, and then the other ones ain't gonna break up, and then ultimately they'll destroy you. Yeah, like the um like the officer my mom got to an altercation with uh it was a group of cops that came to the court hearings and you know, amongst them they had the one black guy. Uh I'm gonna say he was like the token black guy of the group because he didn't look like he wanted. He really didn't look like he wanted to be there. You know, he looked like he was just kind of forced into it. Yeah, and and that's and that's another thing too with these black officers. Like a lot of them probably do feel that pressure right. that they got to kind of go along with it. Yeah, and they feel like they'll be castrated, which a lot of times they are. But you know, if yeah. you get several black officers to to operate and act in one accord, you know, like the Bible even tells you, you know, 
uh, a two and three fold chord is stronger than a one fold chord. So if you get several of them together to uh, work together and and tackle the issue, you'll be able to get better results. <clears throat> you know, so that's what's going to have to happen. You know, but this police killing a lot of people thought that maybe it'd get better after the Michael Brown thing but as you see it hasn't you know we've just been seeing this time and time again even that uh, Tatiana no. Jefferson oh. in Fort Worth Texas where she's playing video games with her nephew and she gets gunned down from an officer who's outside of the home she's not even posing a threat and he just takes and kills her right in front of her nephew you know then you have an off-duty officer who's That's off duty sad, goes into the wrong apartment uses the excuse that she thought she was in her apartment, kills a guy, Botham Jean, sitting on the couch eating ice cream. So, I mean, you know, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And then just recently, I think about a week ago, in Chicago, where you had a male officer and a female officer trying to arrest the guy. He was he was resisting. Um, and so he gave his female partner orders and said, just shoot him. So she let the guy go. And then she fired her weapon, and then he went running up the escalator, and then she shot him again. Yeah. You let him go just to shoot him. And he ran up the escalator, Possibly. which means you probably I'm shot him in the sure back. where the trauma was. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to look into that to see. But, you know, it's just showing you that that's what they're doing. So even with them... But- implementing tasers i think probably about 90 80 to 90 percent of departments have tasers now they're still killing people with the firearms so even though they have less lethal force to use um they're still using the deadly force yeah there's so much going on Um, the guy in chicago did he survive or wow and it's ironic too you know if uh i think we had this discussion too you know, somebody was coming to my house right now with a gun trying to rob me. And, uh, you know, if I owned a weapon and, you know, as soon as they turn around, you know, that's considered uh, assault with either an assault with a deadly weapon or murder on my part if I shoot them in the back. But right. police officers are allowed to shoot you in the back if you decide to run. No warning shot, no mm-hmm. leg shot. You, you know, you, they shooting you to kill. But it's different for if you're a civilian and somebody come up in your house, you know, they, you got to be facing them. They got to be facing you in order for it to be justified. But as soon as they take off running, you shoot them. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just it's just terrible. It's really bad. The thing, I oh, think yeah. what needs to happen, I think some lawyers need to get together, like this, like the Civil Liberties Organization, and they need to start really holding some uh, informal sessions uh on basics, you know, try to use it in the legal ease terms, but um, teaching blacks and um, inner city people on what their rights are in the law. I just think that's something that they all need to know because a lot of people right. don't understand that, you know, when you run off with your mouth and you're going back and forth with the officer, they're going to use everything you said and twist and add and add on to it and embellish it. To malign your character, especially if you're already, if you're already seen as a threat right. as, an, as an aggressive black man, then you actually give them that, 
it's giving them be, more credence you know, worse on your part because they're going to and use And if you're a black male that's already right. been in a criminal justice system and fingerprinted, they're going to use that against you too every time. Even if, even if, even if the charges was dropped, the record oh, yeah. is still, they're going to still use that against you to be able to justify why they did what they did to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just, you just, you, and you'll never win mm-hmm. an argument with a police officer anyway, because they're the ones that hold the power to arrest you and to jam you up. So the best thing is, is just shut the fuck up and right. just get an attorney. And that's one of your, that's, that's your right under the Fifth Amendment right. is your Miranda rights. Right, man, anything you say will be, can be used against you to call out a right to an attorney. You can't afford one, one to be appointed to you at no charge. And I have a right to have an attorney present during question. And also have a right to terminate the interview or not say anything at any time. You know, so that's something that people need right. to um, utilize. Because you do more damage when you're arguing and, and yeah, fighting. Yeah, for real. It's crazy. See it too, all the time. Uh, I was watching uh, last summer, like my block, you know, where I live at. You know, those people pulled over each, like, every five minutes, it seemed like somebody was pulled over. And, you know, you got you got some people that definitely were, you know, being a little aggressive, being a little belligerent with the officers. And, you know, they start writing more tickets. You know, they start doing, you know, doing this and that, you know, taking them out the car, searching the car. You had some that really you could tell they didn't know their rights because they getting snatched off the car and, mm-hmm. you know, getting searched, getting their car searched. And, you know, a lot of it was, uh, you know, you know how we all do the roll through the stop sign, and then they get you on that. And that's my whole thing is like, okay, if I roll through a stop sign, right. they, 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 they don't, right to check they don't my have car. it right. That's why a lot of that shit go to court and they threw up. It's just the whole thing. It's just the whole thing to jam you up and make you pay money to get your yeah. car out the impound. It, it, well, it's, 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 it's a money game. Well, it's not even about the money, a hundred percent. It goes more into something that we were talking about um, while you were um, missing in action. It goes back into the point of getting you into that system. And fingerprinting you and getting you oh, in yeah, there yeah, yeah. to that way give them more justification to come back and revisit you and harass you some more because they already had you in the system one time, especially if you're a first time offender or first time you've been arrested. Now the next time, and then before you know it, it's the third time. So it's once, twice, and thrice. But see, what people don't understand too is that, like, just because you just because you go to jail and you beat a case. You still got an arrest record. That's what we were talking so, about earlier, yeah. is that you still have an arrest record that, that, that that's on you for uh, a lifetime, even if the record is sealed um, and whatnot. You still have that, and that's what we were talking about, is that even when you go and applying to jobs, um, and I was talking yeah. about how a lot of the private sector jobs in the private sector, meaning corpor- corporations and companies and businesses, they've adopted the same type of... Um, uh, procedure and process as the public sector, which would be your government municipal jobs where they want you to sign a consent form waiver, uh, indemnifying them and indemnifying third parties to release any records or information and to furnish anything they have on you. So even though you were arrested and the record, the charges were thrown out and whatnot, that'll still be used um, against you. So, so and you even can't though, hold, and you can't hold anybody harmless, because until you know when you sign those 
those consent waivers, and I'm pretty sure you've seen them on job applications. A lot of people don't really read them. They just fill it out. But if you read it, it tells you, you know, you hold no one. You don't hold them harmless, and you hold uh, the third party that's giving them information on you, you hold them not harmless. And even if, uh, if sickness befalls you, some of them have if death befalls you, some of them have it if it affects you, uh, uh, if it affects your equity, which means money, where it ends up costing you money or attorney, so attorney fees or whatever, you hold no one harmless behind them getting information on you. Okay. Whatsoever. So that basically means if you fill out a job application, okay, let's say you go to uh, Derek and he's an employer, he's HR, now you fill out an application, you sign an identification, you indemnify him and his company. Okay, you don't hold them harmless. Now, you used to work for me. So when Derek called me in reference to you, I'm going to say, well, did he sign a consent form? Oh, yeah, we got it. Fax it to me. Once fax it to me, now I could turn around and malign your character and mess you up. And guess what? You can't come back to me because you've already signed off. You hold no one harmless. Oh, so we be signing shit and don't even be knowing. Don't even, don't even know. Don't even know. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a major thing crazy, that the man. private sector has adopted. And that's why um, it's really oh, hard. Oh, no, I get it. So that, that's why when they say, is it okay for us to call your previous job? That's what that is. No, 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 no. A lot of job application acts, is it okay to uh, contact your previous employer and it'll say yes or no? You could put no there if you want or whatnot. And sometimes they might want an explanation. I'm talking about the consent forms, which is usually towards the back of the application when it gets into like your background, history, driver's record, credit, credit report, if they require a financial disclosure, things of that nature that, you, that you're not going to hold them harmless or a third party harmless that furnishes such information in regards to you. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's what that's talking about. So that really means like how they chumped up charges on you and you applied to a job and you fill that out. And they said, well, we doing a full criminal report. And let's say you used to live in Buffalo. So some of these employers will even contact the police department which, uh, of where you live just to ask them if they have any records or any dealings with you. And then you indemnifying them to say whatever they want to say about you. Yeah, like remember when I told you the people tried to scam me? Mm-hmm. And, and and they and they try to say it was something about drug trafficking, mm-hmm. but but I said and remember, remember we were just talking about that on on the last last podcast we did, and I said it's crazy because they knew that they had to know that I had got arrested for drugs before, even though I beat the case, right? But but why would you why would you say something about drug trafficking, you know, if you really don't know anything about me? So so they knew that I got arrested for drugs before. So, so they try to use that to scam. Yeah, because it's on it's on paper. Yeah, yeah. See, that's, see, that's what police officers do, and this is what I was telling Derek on this podcast that police officers, you know, they 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 destroy people with their ink pen. Um, which we're in twenty first century modern technology, so I should say they destroy people really with their fingers on the keyboard, and they leave out a lot of exculpatory evidence and information. Um, to destroy you, 
okay? And they leave that out on purpose, and they set a paper trail up on you. So this way here, they could say, yeah, he might have beat the charges, but this is what they said. And police officers are an expert witness in the court of law. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. And so it goes back into like what I said, when you're having issues with the police and they done pulled you over, whatever, <clears throat> arguing with them does not help and t- talking to them, you really shouldn't say too much to them because no matter how exculpatory your statement is to them, it will not help you because they can still turn it and twist it and use it against you. Yeah, yeah. But there are a lot of cases where people, you know, fight the charges and they're, they have a good defense attorney and they're able to find the exculpatory evidence. And, it, and I'll explain what that means because some people that might be listening to the podcast might say, well, what the hell is he talking about exculpatory? Exculpatory is when there's evidence that shows that the defendant deems them innocent. That's what exculpatory means. So basically, you could be arrested. Let's say there was a shooting, and I'll just say on the corner of Moselle and Delavan, and you might get arrested for taking part of that shooting. Well, your defense attorney, he's going to do his best to represent you and to defend you. And let's say you weren't on that side of town. Let's say you were at work at 7-Eleven on military and Purdo. Okay, so he's going to get that documentation from 7-Eleven in your schedule to show that you were there at work, logged in on that register, working and be able to show the pay stub and all that, that you were there. And he might be able to maybe pull your phone record to show a text message where maybe you were texting your mom back and forth saying, oh, yeah, I'll get I'll pick this up from the store when I get off in, a, in about an hour or two and I'll bring it to you. That's exculpatory evidence. Hey, Jay, remember uh, remember you got arrested, I think it was like back in 01 when you was uh, yeah. went to check on your cousin, then they wound up arresting you? You uh, didn't, what was it, that you went to City Hall or something? Something happened where you had got some paperwork showing that at the time the shit happened, that uh, you was you was in a totally different place. What That's what I remember that, that. Um, my but, cousin Chip. You know, he got killed, man. Rest in peace, man. But, um, yeah, it was some shit. Our moms had got some paper. But, yeah, it went. Yeah, I think it was at City Hall or something like that. And it was like time stamp. So it went right. right. You know, it helped you up because you wanted to get 15 years. I know that. Yeah. It's crazy. So, I mean, trying. those are the things, those are the things that, that we as blacks need to know how that system works and kind of know a little bit of the lingo. You don't need to know it all, but a little bit of it just so that way you know how to operate when you're dealing with the um, police. You know, yeah, if they tell you, if they pull you over and they tell you to get out your car, right. it's a lawful request. So you get out the car, but you roll up your windows and you lock the car door and you put the keys back in your pocket. And then they'll be like, well, why are you locking the car? Well, you told me to get out the car. Um, I don't give a consent to a search of the vehicle unless you have a warrant. Okay, a capius. They don't have it, but this is where it gets slippery. Is if you're dealing with an ego-tripping officer, then he'll just lock you up. And they'll start charging you up with the package charges, which is obstruction, disorderly conduct, resisting arrest. And then they'll get in your car anyway. And then they'll say, well... He was acting suspicious and he was making sudden movements, which now gave us PC to search the immediate area that he was sitting in of the vehicle. Yeah. Okay. 
So, I mean, you have to, you, you know, people really have to, uh, really should know those things. And that, that's why, like, that's why, like, down south, um, it's legal to have a gun in your car without a license because they they consider it, they call it the domicile or something like that. So they consider it like like a living area. It's an extension it's like, it's, of your home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the yeah the car is an extension of your home, so you can have it in your car, not on your person. Yeah, you got it. You got to be in your car. Right, it could be in your vehicle because that is an extension of your home. Unlike up in New York, if you have it in your car. Um, you better have a pistol permit, and it better be uh, carry concealed, not not restricted. Because if it's restricted, then you better be on your way to the shooting range and targeting practice, or on your way to work if it's a if it's a work permit. You know that they give you, and actually that's technically illegal because they actually when they give you a pistol permit, it's supposed to be unrestricted. And and and, and it gotta be in the lockbox. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this podcast ended kind of abruptly, so don't be alarmed. We uh we plan to do a follow up episode uh due to some you know, time constraints. Uh, you know, everybody had uh, things going on, so we weren't able to like really finish what we started this episode. But uh, look for a follow up episode, and you know, this is being recorded as we're going through this coronavirus this coronavirus crisis. So. Everybody be safe, stay blessed, and uh, wash your damn hands. Here's your boy, out.